Hello, I'm Somi Aryan. I'm a tech philosopher, author, filmmaker, and the founder of InPeak, a platform where entrepreneurs and business professionals come to network, learn together, and stay ahead of the curve in the fast-paced world of emerging technologies like blockchain, Web3, NFTs, AI, automation, and so much more. Our guest on today's podcast is known as Zeneca33, a well-respected NFT influencer who I dare say is pretty much loved by everyone in the space. Zeneca is extremely wise and zen. <laughs> he keeps our feet on the ground when the prices are shooting up to the moon in the bull markets, and he lifts us when we are in the depth of the bear market. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Zeneca, and we mostly covered topics that he hasn't normally covered on other podcasts. Zeneca also has his own podcast and YouTube channel, and he appears on Overpriced JPEGs every other week. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Zeneca33. Before we start, I also wanted to tell you about Athletic Greens, our sponsor for today's show. I started taking their AG1 daily supplement because I work 14 to 15 hours a day and I need a way to stay at my peak performance. Now, I've been taking it for several months at this point and I love it. I definitely feel more mentally alert and I seem to be more energized during my workouts. Honestly, it's no wonder that Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. I wanted to share this with you because I personally have been loving it. To make it easier for you, Athletic Greens is also going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash somi. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash somi to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We also have another sponsor today. MetaBrew Society, founded by Holger Manwiller, is the first project that builds a utility bridge between NFTs and the metaverse and a legacy industry. Every MetaBrew Society NFT grants you in real life utility of up to 300 cans of free craft beer per year in perpetuity. You also get voting rights on business decisions and access to exclusive brewing classes and beer tastings. MetaBrew Society is preparing to buy a real brewery from the NFT drop, where they deliver product innovations like high protein or smoked beers. They are also creating iconic beer shops in a digital twin of the MetaBrew Society in the metaverse. The NFT revolution of the beer industry happens now, and you can be part of it. First of all, thank you so much for being here. Um, uh, Roy, Zeneca, you know. So so why don't we start with that name? Tell me about where did the Zeneca come from? I always think of you as being very Zen. Is, does that have something to do with that? Yeah, I would say that's part of it. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, all right, so to the name. When I created my Twitter account in... March 2021, uh, you know, I was coming up with a name, a, a pseudonymous identity. I think a lot of people in Web3 have like their pseudonyms. And I just tried to think about, you know, what sort of words, names, people came to mind. And my favorite, um, I'm a big fan of Stoic philosophy. And my favorite philosopher is uh, Seneca. So Seneca with an S. 
And so that was the first thing that came to mind. And then uh, I didn't want to just straight up copy that. And so I was like, well, how can I change it a little bit? And then I'm also a fan of like Buddhism and like being a bit Zen and thinking about that. Um, and so I just merged the two together. Zeneca came up and then I was 33 years old at the time. And so I went Zeneca 33. That's where the screen name came from. That's really cool. So tell me about that philosophy a little bit, because, you know, I feel like in the NFT space, we talk too much about NFTs and not enough about other things. You know, for me, um, I think that I see NFTs as uh, a means to an end, not a, an end in themselves. I see mm -hmm. them as a as a technology and as a tool to uh, spread great ideas and great business models, uh, you know, knowledge, all that stuff. So tell me a little bit about your life philosophy. Uh, who is Zeneca uh, as a person, as a philosopher? Yeah, wow. Uh, that is a big question, I would say. So I started reading literature around uh stoicism and a little bit buddhism and and various other philosophies around uh 2015 2016 so six seven years ago um and it just immediately resonated with me because i think i had always sort of had like an ilk in that direction and so i guess in a nutshell uh, the parts of stoicism that resonate with me are like focusing and understanding that um there are certain things within our control in life and certain things not within our control and very often we find ourselves being upset, emotional, angry due to things that are outside of our control. And it can be difficult to reconcile because by nature and by the fact that they are outside of our control, there's nothing we can do about it. And they can, we can feel helpless and then anxious and then all sorts of negative emotions. And then I think making that conscious uh, recognition that, all right, well, that is, that was not in our control in the markets crash. We could not have seen that. Like we didn't know about that. Um, et cetera, et cetera. It's raining today. And we had a big picnic planned and, you know, that's not really in our control. The forecast said it was sunny and it changed, et cetera. Um, so I think by nature, a lot of people, his first reaction is, you know, sadness or anger or whatever, feeling upset. But I think with stoicism, it, it sort of like teaches you, uh, or directs you to, understand what's within your control and what's out of your control and align your emotions more strictly with what is in your control. And, and basically the only thing that is actually in our control are our thoughts, our mind and what we, and so I guess by long story short, like we get to decide how we react to any situation, like that things will happen to us all the time in the world around us. Um, and that is not in our control. What's in our control is our reaction to it. And so just trying to be grateful, thankful, content, um, okay, accepting, et cetera, of whatever comes my way, our way in life, um, whether it's in the NFT space. And I think that it's particularly useful in the NFT space because there's a lot of stuff happening outside of our control all the time that has like financial impacts on our lives and emotional impacts. Um, but even outside, like if I'm going to catch a bus and I just miss the bus, instead of being upset, I'll be like, okay, well, you know, it happened. Can't change the past. Past is not in my control. What can I do now? I could be upset or I could be happy. I could turn, I could focus on something else. So that sort of period, I think 2015 to 2017, 2018, I went, I read a lot of stuff and really sort of solidified that. I guess I put um, words to a mindset that I always in the back of my mind understood a little bit of, but really firmed it up. And ever since then, it's just sort of been a, a running theme in my head to approach life with those things in mind. That's so cool. So um, I'm uh, originally from Iran. Uh, so Persian poetry is 
something that is like there's a lot of Persian poetry that's very much in line with what you are uh, talking about. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rumi. Actually, my cat is called Rumi. And, Amazing. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and there's this incredible Persian uh, poem that essentially basically what he's saying is that I'm like a, a hole in the flute. The music comes through me, meaning that I'm not creating the music. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just a vessel for the music to come through me. And I, um, I wake up every morning thinking of my life in that term, you know, and when you think of it like that, you know, that you are here uh, for an experience to unfold and, and you are experiencing that, right? Um, then you kind of stop having an opinion about everything. For example, we were shortlisted to receive investment from a big uh, bank and it didn't go through. I think they were not yet ready to invest in a Web3 oriented kind of platform. And I was I was quite upset because, you know, they are also a client and I was like, you know, I really felt like this would have been a really good um, partnership. And then I reminded myself, there's no point in being upset, you know, like, who knows maybe this is for the best and literally two or three days later I was talking to one of the moonbirds on uh, Twitter who then also bought one of the Zen Academy NFTs so I was talking to him on on Twitter and the way it worked out was like basically I just sent him a message and said hey look at our NFTs this is what we're building and he responded saying oh this is so cool and you know what are you doing and I explained I said well you know we've raised this much money we're doing this and I'm closing our round and he was like oh how much money do you need to close your round (laughs) and I was like "Uh, 300,000 pounds and he was like uh, let's talk, <laughs> you know, and, and now he is investing in the platform and he's like coming to London and it's, uh, it's just a really interesting and actually a much better deal to what would it would have been uh, if we had gone with the bank and all that stuff. So, so you never know. And, and I think that as we go through this a constant transformation in this uh, age of technological advancement and, you know, exponential age, the less we have opinions about things and just get on with them, it's better. Because you think about something like Web3, like it's a big learning curve. It's quite mm-hmm. a steep learning curve. And I see so many people that give up just because they're like, this is too hard, right? Where I'm like, if you stop complaining and you use that time to actually create your wallet, you know, you yeah. would be like 10 steps ahead of everybody now, right? So do you see that in the people around you, you know, because you're such a, a prolific um, person in the in, in this space do you get do people tell you about their frustrations and and how do you help them stay calm and like carry on yeah uh i i do hear obviously a reasonable about about people who are uh frustrated upset they're going through a tough time in this space um and yes people do tend to reach out to me i guess because um perhaps of my writings or the my approach to the space and, and they sort of ask for advice um and I think zoom out, honestly, is one thing that I tell people a lot because I think giving perspective is extremely important. And if, if it's, whether it's financial minded and, and the market is down 20%, 50%, when you do zoom out and look at like, look at the price of Bitcoin since inception or Ethereum or, you know, there's a stock market and you see that, all right, it's down a bit, but when you, in the grand scheme of things, we're up so much and it's likely to continue, but who knows, maybe it doesn't. Um, and then it's sort of about, I really think a perspective is really important. So it's, you know, all right, things might be bad in one area, but do you have a family? Do you have um, a pet that you can hug? Do you have um, your health? Um, 
And, and maybe they have none of these things. And then do you have a roof over your head? Maybe not, maybe not. All right, what do you have? You have your thoughts, all right? So you can, again, come back. You, you, you are within the capacity to think. And, and that is a miracle of life, for lack of a better word. Just the fact that we're alive and, and how precious life is and just you know trying to appreciate that. And it can be difficult when you're in the, the thick of it. And, and you know it doesn't really help necessarily always to hear that. That's why I just try and you know, tell people to, to breathe, zoom out. And then we, we talk through and honestly, just usually talking it, Yeah. Or rather listening on my end. Um, a lot of people just want to talk. And so just being there to listen and then give a couple of nuggets um, usually I think is helpful. Yeah. That's my approach generally. Definitely. What was your upbringing like? Like, did you have a sheltered life? Did you grow up with money or was it like something that you made? Because I know that you uh, come from a poker background and, you know, for somebody who comes from a poker background to be able to be so Zen about money and, you know, loss and, and surely there must've been some losses as well. Right. Along the way, I come from a very underprivileged background. Like if you see a picture of where I grew up, you'll never believe where I am now. You know, now I have got uh, 17 people working in, in my two companies. Uh, yeah. And uh, we work with some of the best brands, like including Steinway pianos, you know, they've been our client for six years. So I come from a place where, I had nothing to lose. And that's why even the worst thing that happens to me, if I, if I lose everything, I'm still better than what I, what I was mm -hmm. before, because at least I've had that experience of going from having nothing to having everything. So what was your background upbring upbringing? Yeah, I, I would say I definitely had a, a sheltered upbringing and a fortunate upbringing, but I mean, like we, I never had to worry about food or, or or money or anything my parents fortunately provided really well for me um they though struggled and and like they were, they uh, had uh, adversity in their lives so i think they really instilled in in me and my brother and sister like the, the value of of money and like really just not taking money for granted a dollar saved is a dollar earned waste not what not all these types of concepts um so yeah i mean my parents they they moved from uh india in uh the 70s i believe to actually germany for a few years because my dad got a job there and then to australia um a small mining town northern in northern australia i think just a population of a few thousand people which is where i was born and so the first five six years of my life was a small country town i mean th there were no fast food restaurants there were no traffic lights it was really small just that that was like i guess the the first six years of my life and then we moved to brisbane uh in Queensland in Australia. And um, that's where I did grow up and did most of my schooling and made friends. And yeah, again, they, my parents provided a really good, comfortable life um, where I didn't have to worry about money, but I was also not really handed everything on a silver platter or anything per se. Um, and by the time when I was uh, 17, 18, that's when I started playing poker and um, I was largely independent from then. Like not, I had the fortunate aspect of knowing that you know if things really went awful i could go back home and and you know that they would support me and had the means to support me um but i i was you know playing poker winning money losing money um feeling all of it feeling terrible when i lost you know i, I felt very independent and um that i think really helped me because i did that for about 15 years um yeah i made lots of money and then i lost all of it <laughs> and then i did it again and did, lost it all again and a few times and, and that really helps you um have that a resilience. I think that's really uh, is helpful in the crypto and web three and NFT space because swings are like the variance is enormous. And yeah, as we've seen over the last month, you know, prices have really crashed. Uh, 
not just in crypto, you know, tech stocks and everything is going to go in a hell a bit. Um, but yeah, that, that was sort of like, in a nutshell, my upbringing and, and past. Well, I, um, I hope you don't mind that I ask these uh, questions. The reason is that, uh, you know, you do so many interviews about NFTs that I think people have heard a lot of the things you have to say about NFTs and we are going to get to them. But I want them to see, I wanted our audience to see the human side of you, you know, and like the, a little bit of getting to know you as a person and for me to get to know you as a person. So this was really helpful. Now, I want to ask you something about the, this is something that I get asked quite a lot and I want to know your opinion. You know, Web3 and the NFT space, do you see it as a democratizing force or do you see it as a, a force of actually increasing the divide between the haves and have-nots? And do you see it as like actually magnifying that? And actually, I gave a, a TED talk where I talked about the next generation of democracy is being built on the next generation of the internet. Are you ready mm-hmm. for it? But I did say at the end of that talk that the thing about the speed of technological advancements is that everything gets magnified. So if you don't get on board, you will be left behind. And when you are left behind, it's going to be a lot harder. You know, I see some of our members, they're like, you know what, like I'm earning like three, $4,000 a month. You know, how do you expect me to buy something that's like several ETH? you know, to get into these communities, to get access to those opportunities? What would you say to them? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good question. Um, I guess to address the the part about me buying ETH early and then having that to get into these projects, um, while I think my the first time I bought ETH, it was around $200, um, 2016, 2017. Um, I sort of held it all the way up to, you know, 1500, 2000, and then it crashed down and I sort of rid that whole wave. And then when... 2021 came along, I had about 20 ETH sitting in a wallet. So that was, you know, not insignificant, but um, I wouldn't say that I had like a huge pile of money to put into ETH. Like early last year, my net worth might've been like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, at 32, 33 years old, that's not a fortune. That's not like, maybe it was 200,000, 150. It, it was like, all right. It was obviously, uh, I was privileged to have that amount of money and have a roof over my head and stuff, but I didn't come into the year with like millions and millions or a thousand ETH or something. And then I was just fortunate to buy the right projects and flip and trade and, and obviously right time. It was very lucky to be in the market at that time and things went well. Um, in terms of like the, the bigger question, is uh, Web3 democratizing? Uh, I would say yes, definitely. I feel like it is. Uh, it opens a lot more opportunities for creators, especially people from um, parts of the world that may not have access and opportunities that, um, you know, someone say in, in the United States or Europe might have. Uh, and and we see that with artists all the time where, you know, an artist from say Thailand, uh, case in point, this, this banner behind me, this was a Thai artist who I found on Twitter um, who had just started, you know, creating work. Uh, his name is Pondering. Uh, and then releasing it as NFTs and, you know, people found it and liked it and started paying good money for it. And, and now he's got a whole a whole life and a career out of it. And there's many stories like that. Um, I will say though, that obviously there is a, a large degree of accumulation of wealth in the, a small percentage of people, the whales, the VCs are entering web three for sure. And taking a large percentage of money. That's a fact that's inevitable. Uh, the way I always answer this question actually 
is just paraphrasing Winston Churchill, who, so I'll say web three blockchain crypto, this economy, it's the worst possible economy and system, except for everything else. So just like democracy is the worst form of government, except for everything else. I think obviously there are flaws and there are issues and yes, the rich will get richer and wealthier. And, but I think the opportunities that are becoming available for new participants is they're increasing. And so that alone gives me hope. And I think we're moving in the right direction, even though it's, yeah, you, you can still get left behind. It's not, it's not wag me. Everyone is not going to win, but you know, yeah. there are more opportunities for those willing to sort of work and then capitalize on them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of like early days of social media. Like for example, I was quite early in LinkedIn when LinkedIn went from being just a place to find jobs to being a social media. I was there at that time. My videos were get, getting like hundreds of thousands, which was a lot for LinkedIn. Mm. And then I became a LinkedIn top voice three years in a row. And I built a, a presence and audience there. Um, so in a similar way, people who were early uh, to Instagram, they became Instagram influencers. Mm. People who were early to uh, YouTube, they built an audience. So I would say to people that in my experience, Web3 is democratizing because you don't need as big of an audience, you know, like you, mm. you are somebody who, who has something of value to give to a number of people really like look at most of the NFT communities, like 10,000, you know, the 10,000 yeah. people are willing or even a hundred people. Are, yeah. are willing to buy your project and then you give those 100 people a lot of value then um it, it, it goes from there and you can build a living from it and you can build you know a, a business from it so it is democratizing um and it's like anything else you know being early does matter this is this mm -hmm. is the nature of technology you know technology is moving so fast if you can understand it and uh, if you can get on board with it, you know, I always give this example of, you know, when the pandemic happened during the first two weeks of pandemic, uh, the lockdowns and, and Netflix added 20 something million people to their mm. um, audience. And that meant that there were 20 million new people in the space, you know, that said, oh, I'm getting paid to sit home and not work. So I'm going to sit down and watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. Precisely at that time, I started building an, a business and I haven't watched a single Netflix series. I have not watched a single film or anything like that for two and a half years now because oh. I've been building this thing, right? I cut down all of my entertainment, you know, and I focused on this thing. I've been working on it 15 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, so I think that it's fair to say that I deserve to win the the, the wins that I've had, right? So, right? so this is, it's a decision that you make at the end of the day. I'm not saying that everybody who is not winning is whining necessarily, but a lot of times, you know, Joe, Joe Rogan has got this, this really good thing. He's like, there's a lot of people who are complaining, but, but there's not a lot, a lot of people who are actually putting effort. It does take effort like anything else. No, it truly does. Okay, so let's let's say that uh, somebody hears this and they're like, okay, from tomorrow, you know, or from today, I'm going to go in, I'm going to learn about Web3. And let's say the person says, I don't have a lot of money, but I want to get started. Where do you think they should start? You know, what's like, what's the hottest area? What's the low hanging fruit in the Web3 space right now where people can start? I mean, in terms of... Uh educating yourself and getting to know the space better honestly uh youtube youtube twitter just just google just start like i remember when i first got into the space uh properly early last year i i, I recognized web3 this creative economy this thing is big i want to really 
pivot away from poker and dedicate all my time to it um, and understanding. And the learning curve is so steep. So I know that it's difficult because there's so much to learn, like setting up MetaMask and knowing what gas is. Um, and I, I sat down one day and I wrote a list of about 15 or 20 words or phrases that I just heard, you know, in articles or just people talking about that I had no idea what it was like liquidity pool or layer twos or uh, Solana as I'd heard these, but I was like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And then, so I just went through them one by one over the course of a week or two and I Googled and then I read articles and then I watched videos and then I did, did more and more. Um, and that's just, gets you that base level of understanding and i think that you know it doesn't cost anything it's you know other than time um and you know you might not get 100 percent accurate up-to-date perfect information but you start understanding the lingo the vernacular you start understanding um the different areas in the space and you hear other things and then it just begins just it just begins you just have to start that's the hardest part it's starting and then um as you just keep doing that as time goes on follow people on twitter um just honestly it takes a lot of time because there is so much to learn and um yeah i had i had someone ask me a couple of months ago uh like they were asking me what are like the one or two questions that sort of all beginners come to me and ask me about when they're getting into nfts and, and crypto and you know i i sat and i thank uh, i thought for about 10 seconds and i, I couldn't come up with you know a couple because the reality is if there were just a couple of questions that everyone was asking this would be easy. We could just put a website saying, you know, <laughs> this is FAQ into crypto, read these and then you're done. The reality is um, everyone has different questions and there's 50 to hundred questions that, that you, you, that you want answers to. Um, and that's like how steep the learning curve is. And yeah, I mean, so I mean, uh, YouTube, Twitter, Google, um, and then asking questions is honestly the best thing. And by and large people in the space are so happy to answer questions and and help you uh because it wasn't that long ago that we were in the same position trying to figure it out uh and so just yeah just just jump in talk to people ask questions read watch videos um and then take it from there yeah yeah no so that's super helpful so on our platform i've tried to think about like my journey when i first started how did I come across all of these different kinds of pieces of information and then distilled it down to where does one start? And I would say that I, I tell people, look, if you understand the ethos of Web3, it's really mm. about ownership. So uh, the, the key to your ownership is your wallet. So the first thing to learn about is your is what is a wallet? If you mm -hmm. can understand that, that's going to be a key point. Yeah. You can think of it as being the window to Web3. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. I think the way you put it was really excellent because it's relatively easy to set up a wallet, but a lot of people set it up without understanding what it means to like, like where do your assets exist? Do they exist in your MetaMask prop-up browser? Are they on your computer? Um, are they on OpenSea? No, they're on the blockchain, on the blockchain yes. and your wallet just sort of directs or says who owns it and gives you the access to it. And like figuring, like getting through that is, yeah, I agree. Like understanding, um, how it works is uh is probably the most important first step and it's difficult like it's hard to wrap your head around because we're not used to this sort of um system of like um dealing with uh, goods and and things like on a public blockchain ledger. it's it's a new technology so it takes a while to wrap your head around but it's it's so absolutely worth figuring it out so you said that um you literally came into this space like what 18 months ago uh, so I, I dabbled like in 2016, 2017, um, I, I bought a little bit of ETH and then some random altcoins, but I never really like 
fully got in. I didn't fully understand it. It was just that everyone was talking about it. Like at poker tables, people were talking about it. And so I bought in. And uh, again, when the bear market hit, I was like, all right, I didn't have that conviction to stick around and build or um, invest more. I just sort of left and went back to, to reality. Like even back then, I didn't fully understand how wallets worked or ownership truly worked or smart contracts. It was all very theoretical in a lot of ways as well. Uh, and then, yeah, early last year, so around February, March 2021 is when I sort of re-got back in. And that's when I, like, I would say I properly started dedicating time to learning and understanding. And it was, you know, several months of really steep learning curve. And then even today, I'm learning things all the time. There's so much that I don't know about. No one can know. There's just too much too much new stuff happening in every direction at all times. Yeah. It's impossible to stay on top of, yeah. Yeah, so, and now you are um, essentially one of the most respected influencers in this space. You know, you've got around 300,000 um, people following you on Twitter. And like, I, I have not heard a single person that doesn't know about you in this space, uh, that doesn't respect you. Everybody's like, whenever I say to people, Zanka, they're like, oh yeah, he's an amazing person. And they, they all respect you. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how that journey happened? Would you say that you are uh, an extrovert? Like you don't come across as an extrovert. No, I'm definitely introverted. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not a fan of social media either. So the fact that I've come here, it's like, I used to use Twitter a little bit back when I was a poker player, but I hadn't used it for five years. I deactivated my Facebook account you know, a few years ago. I stopped using Instagram, but I realized that getting into NFTs and, and uh, sorry, crypto and NFTs specifically, uh, Twitter and Discord are two things that are basically mandatory to understand because that's just where so much conversation happens um, and where people learn about projects and discuss them. And so I realized, well, if I really want to do this right and understand and be part of this space and, and you know capitalize on various opportunities, I need to use these platforms. So yeah, I set up, started my Twitter account March last year as basically just a way to follow people and try and find new projects and see about what's happening in the space. I mean, I was posting a little bit, but a lot of it was like retweeting giveaways and, you know, just occasionally I'd, I'd write a, a couple of posts or a thread and it wouldn't get that much traction and uh, as what happens. Um, and then in uh, around May, June, I think is when it all started really taking off. One thing is uh, I got my board apes um, in, I think mid to late May or something. Uh, so about a month after mint. Uh, and I got them because, you know, everyone on Twitter was talking about them. You'd see them everywhere, see derivatives. And I, honestly, I just felt FOMO and I was like, well, okay, uh, I want to be part of this. And I had to, I remember I had to like, I didn't have enough. I, I could buy one, I think. But so I have three now that I all bought in secondary for 0.5.7, but I had to like really scramble to get that ETH together. Cause you know, I had to deposit Australian dollars into you know exchange and transfer that. Um, but the FOMO was that real and the community seemed that strong. So um, as soon as I changed my PFP and started engaging with that community, that helped me get from like a couple hundred followers to a thousand or something. And, you know, you don't need an ape to do that. You can be part of any NFT community will help each other and, and follow each other. And um, but obviously a thousand is great, but to get to where I'm now, it's just absurd. Um, and then I think in June is when I launched my newsletter, um, which is sort of long form written content on, honestly, it started out more project specific. And then over time it's evolved into more like big picture concepts and less specific projects. And the reason I started it was because I've always enjoyed writing and I feel like I learn more myself when I write and have to explain something than anything else so i thought well if i forced myself to write which i enjoy and um 
force myself to research rather and understand these topics so I'm, I'm portraying them accurately then I'll understand them better and that's basically how it started and I, I think there just wasn't much content in about nfts at all back then so it's just sort of started spreading and people were sharing it and, and that was starting to pick up some traction and more people were sort of becoming aware of my content um and again around that same time june is when i started posting on twitter these daily stats updates of floor prices of of pfp projects mostly uh and you know back then there were no websites that tracked floor prices OpenSea didn't even track the floor price of projects you had to like manually go in and, and sort by low to high OpenSea didn't even automatically sort by load high. You had to you had to go and do that. So it, it was very difficult back then to find the floor price of the project. And people really wanted to know the floor prices. Um, and so I was actually tracking it myself. And then one day a friend said, well, you know, I wonder if there was a tool. And I was like, hey, I have that. So I shared that with my friend and they were really excited. So I tweeted it out and then just, just the reception was incredible. Everyone was like, wow, this is amazing. So I did it the next day and then the next day. And then I did it every single day for about six, seven months. Uh, basically. Uh, and, you know, that really, I, I credit the growth of my Twitter account very largely to that because it was something that everyone in the space wanted. No one else was really doing and there were no other resources for, to do it. Um, and uh, so every day I would post it, I would post the stats and I'd add my analysis of it and like my thoughts on the market and just everyone would like share, retweet. And it was just like right place, right time, right content, with very little competition. And so as the entire NFT space is blowing up, like we're talking June, July, August last year, the amount of people entering was just, you know, it went parabolic. Uh, it seemed that like everyone was entering the space and then following me as well. Like people would join Twitter, people were like, who do you follow on Twitter? And then there's a list of people and, and my name was usually in there. So then that just propelled it. And it was like 20, 30, 40,000 people joining, following every single month for the last half of last year. Um, and then, yeah, somewhere along the way, I also uh, started a podcast with my friend Jamie, and now I have a second one and my YouTube channel. I just kept creating content, Discord server and my own project. And um, But yeah, I mean, to, to begin with, the the first, say, 5, 10, 20K, that came from my newsletter and I think these Twitter daily stats and just being active on Twitter and posting threads. And It's like, you know, that's so fascinating because... Look, it goes back to, again, being at the right place at the right time, being early, this whole concept of saving people time, you know, this is something mm -hmm. that people will always pay for, you know, if you can buy people time, they will pay for it, right? So mm -hmm. uh, if you can create, whether it's content, whether it's like a new product, you know, right now, the NFT space is still very, very inefficient, you know, there's still so many issues, like, uh, lots of things have been, you know, made better, but you can think of something like, for example, premint, right, you can, uh, that website mm -hmm. premint, it's like, God, that's so helpful. So they thought about like this is a problem that people have we, we can solve this problem for them so there are so many opportunities like that so if somebody says i want to come into the space and i want to solve problems and and build businesses what are some of the problems that you can think of that maybe some entrepreneurs listening to this podcast now that they can take away and say look hey this is a great opportunity what so as somebody who really is a prolific person in this space what, what are some of the opportunities that you see in the space that new people coming in could leverage? That's a really good question. So there are a bunch of problems that I think people can fix, the, but I know people are already working on them. <laughs> but So they might not be the, the best opportunity, but I'll go through a few of them um, because these are pain points and maybe just gives people an idea of the types of things that people are looking for. Um, so one is, uh, so this issue 
where when you have an NFT and you need to verify ownership of it, often you have to sign a transaction in MetaMask with the wallet that holds that NFT. And if that NFT is very valuable for a Moonbirds, for example, or, or a Bored Ape, um, you know, you risk signing a malicious transaction because it's it's sometimes ambiguous what you're signing and and a lot of people, the level of sophistication isn't there. And so people are getting scammed all the time. And so this, this idea that you can have like a proxy wallet, like a second wallet, a burner wallet that um, is linked to your main wallet um, via some sort of, whether it's a ghost token or some verification system, you, you say, all right, because I control wallet A's and B, um, wallet A has the assets. I want to use wallet B to verify ownership of it. And whether, and I think that that's just something like I've been talking about for eight months. And I think that it hasn't really come out yet but we're pretty close i think to having that feature available and then being mainstream i think in the next couple of months another thing all right this one i don't really think exists yet um and i don't know how profitable it would be but it, it's something that again i've been talking about for eight months uh is just an nft wikipedia like that's just a place where you can go and just type in a project name find out all the information about it um whether it's an old project a coming up project um a historical project whether you know all right the it, it minted out and then the founders rug pulled or you know it minted out and and, and you can click on the the founder's name and say oh, what other projects have they worked on and you know really just go through that entire history and maybe there's, there's more yeah just just an nft wikipedia is basically something that i would love yeah you know, you know what one of the things that i um noticed is that nobody explained this to me when i got into nfts and it was only after i bought a number of nfts was that each NFT has got different cycles of releases, right? Like drops, mm. right? That, like you had Bored Ape, then you had Mutant, then you had, I, I can't actually remember. I don't know if the, uh, the dogs, the kennel. Dogs first, first, then first, and the Mutant. Yeah. Yeah. And usually as you go through these, the ones that come later with the larger number, they are usually like cheaper. And then it mm. means that they usually give you less upside than mm-hmm. having the original one. So one of the things that people don't understand is like, depending on where in the cycle uh, of their drops you come in, you may not get the same uh, upside. Mm-hmm. So for example, buying a board ape now, you're not going to get the same upside as if you bought the board ape before mm-hmm. the mutants, before, you know, the, the other side, all that stuff, right? So so like I can buy a board ape now, it will only give me the status, but I don't get all of the other things that that would have come with it. So this is very similar to being an angel investor and like knowing where in the cycle of the company mm-hmm. you are coming in, right? And so uh, having a Wikipedia, NFTpedia, you know, yeah. kind of thing, why don't we do it? Let's do it. Shall we do it? Let's just do it. I, I wanted to do it. <laughs> I've actually, I've, I've almost, I've like, I've, I've had two or three groups, teams together, like brainstorming, getting the idea out there. And then like, I don't have enough time to dedicate fully to it. So I need other people to help it. And then it just didn't get off the ground. Um, because we have, we have members of our platform who are really looking for something to get their teeth into. I'm going to put it out there. Maybe this will be a women-led, uh, you know, initiative, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, the Hug project is sort of doing something fairly similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's comprehensive, and but they have a lot of people evaluating a lot of projects and getting basic information together. Um, but maybe working with AI them, based. Um, I think this needs to be AI yeah. Based. AI based would be way better than you know. Yeah, um, and and our AI. CTO is a AI architect. And she, I can talk to her. She. You know, like mm. this is so such a good idea, you know. Uh, so, so like, yes, so, so for that NFTpedia to know 
Uh, we all even gave it a name, right? NFTpedia. Yeah, NFTpedia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like uh, for that NFTpedia to whoever takes this idea, I want some. <laughs> yeah, but for that to uh, to also tell people where we are in the cycle, because mm. like people come to me and say, like actually today I got a message from one of our members saying that um, is it still a good time to buy into a Moonbird? You know, and mm. I'm like, oh my god, it's such a difficult. I feel so worried about answering that question mm-hmm. because I remember. Like uh, I really thought when World of Women uh, was sitting at around eight ETH, I thought that this was a good entry, and now it's sitting around four ETH, right? You know, which actually brings me to let's talk about this. What's your feeling about women-led projects and why they are not really taking off? And I would like to be able to have a very open conversation about it, and we are hopefully going to do this uh, conversation on on our Twitter Spaces as well. In my opinion uh, world of women should be sitting around 40 to 50 ETH right now and bff should be sitting around four to five ETH uh, right now i believe that bus beauties should be around five to six ETH, if not more you know yeah. uh, seven eight ETH. you know these are like some some of the major ones that i can think of like why are they not taking off what's the thing that's holding them back yeah i mean it's, it's a really difficult question i think that there's no 100 percent clear answer and there's probably a lot of factors at play but i would say um one probable reason is just the the demographic breakdown of the market participants in the nft space it's very male centric and it has been historically um and especially if you look at sort of you know who was into crypto 10 years ago or earlier i think that the skew was male centric and then the distribution of wealth has been you know heavily uh skewed towards those who were earliest right and who bought eth early and i think you know if that was primarily men and then they have most of the money now and maybe women focused projects aren't as appealing to them for whatever reason as say other projects and and then I guess there's just less money and, and less uh, demand. And then um, if you add the fact that uh, there are, I mean, there's some excellent, really excellent, I love all the projects you just mentioned, but they're in a way sort of competing with each other because they're now in this sort of bucket of sort of they're, they're, they're tied together and labeled as women-led or, or women projects, um, which it's a double-edged sword on the one hand, you know, people, certain people will support them and want to support them more because of that. But then if that's a defining factor or feature of what they are, then they sort of get pitted against or valued against the other ones. Um, and if there isn't enough demand, then they're sort of, again, competing against each other for whatever. I, I, I agree with most of what you said in terms of valuations. I, I certainly think that those projects should be valued a lot higher. Crypto Coven is another one that I'm a massive fan of and, and really, those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I think I agree with all of that. It goes back to, you know, before I started Fempeak, I ran a think tank for women in business and technology to look at why women were not in the top tier of any field. So if you think about, you know, in this case, we are talking about money and finance and, and tech. But actually, if you think about it, even in areas that are historically female domains, at least known as female domains, like cooking and sewing, you know, and dancing, you know, music, maybe Mm. to less degree, but like things like, you know, the highest paid ballet dancers are male. The highest paid chefs are male. The highest paid uh, clothes designers are male. Even the highest paid high heel shoes designer, (laughs) you know, Louboutin is, is male. So it goes deep. It goes deep. Mm. And, and I looked at, you know, what are the reasons for this? And we found that uh, it comes down to six uh, factors. 
And those factors are a shortfall in confidence, tech skills, financial literacy, uh, entrepreneurship skills, and women's health issues, and family and relationship support. You know, these are, these are like all the things that kind of work in conjunction with, with each other, they, they, they work in parallel. So women often suffer more from things like imposter syndrome, lack of confidence, but that lack of confidence a lot of times comes from their lack of family support relationship. And, you know, I always talk about this, that I was interested in and learned everything about blockchain technology since 2018 uh, or even 17. But I didn't buy because I was in a relationship where my partner didn't approve of blockchain technology and like, you know, it was really against it. So that affected my confidence um, to be able to actually go in and buy and actually get involved in it. And it wasn't until after my breakup in late 2019 and, and then later on, you know, then it took me another year of like overcoming, you know, getting over that before I actually started buying crypto. So that's a very good example of, you know, there are many, many women who, even if they make their own money, when it comes to spending their money, they do care about what their partners say, and they do care about what the people around them say. And I see myself as one of the most self-centric people that I know. And even I was affected by, you know, the opinion of my partner, ex-partner. So this is a very good example. Another thing is like, I made the hard choice of not having children because I knew that I don't have the support. I have no family in the UK. I came here by myself. I taught myself English. I had to pay for my own education. I didn't have the support. I could see that if I had children, there was no way I could build a career the way that I wanted to build. So I decided not to have children. So, you know, there's that aspect of it. That's why uh, we are rebranding Fempeak. And maybe by the time people listen to this, it will have been already rebranded because really we need to build allyship. You know, like there's no such thing as women's issues. Women's issues is part of social issues. Like we all talk about inclusivity, but you can't be inclusive if women are still facing those six issues that I mentioned, even think about something like women's health, the majority of research that has been done in medicine has been done on male mice, you know, like yeah. even, even the, the type of, you know, medicine that we are developing, most of the time, they don't have as many female, whether it's, it's animal subjects or whether human subjects, because women have got cycles and that makes things uh, less predictable. So we have literally gone through a millennia of dismissing a whole part of the population because they are more complex. And as, as a result, they fall back, right? And we really need men to be part of that conversation to change that if we are serious about changing it. As a result of that, women make less money and because they make less money, they spend less money. At the end of the day, when it comes to minting a project that's two and a half ETH or whatever, you either have it or you don't have it. So with all of that in mind, uh, how do you think we can overcome that? Let me ask you this question. What percentage of people in Zen Academy, the top tier, what percentage are women who have bought that? It's a good question. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Uh, I would say, though, it is around 10%. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's still good, right? Yeah. I think between the three to three and even just general Zen Academy, we found that the percentage of women members we have is higher than the, the wider NFT space. And I'm obviously happy about that. Um, I know that it's a lot worse in certain other projects. Mm, okay. So maybe like, just as we come towards the end of this, one of the things that people often ask me, people come into this space and like they watch two videos or join two uh, sessions and then 
the third one is like, how do I build my own NFT project? Mm. You know, there's the mechanics of it, but most of the time people don't understand what goes into having a successful NFT project. So what would you say to them? Well, I mean, the number one thing I always say is think about why you want to launch an NFT project in the first place. Like, like you said, a lot of people get in, they look at a couple of things and they just jump to, oh, I want to launch one. And then maybe, maybe they start looking at the technicals and like, how do I do the contracts and find the art? And then they might, they may have skipped the step or just really rushed over like why they want to launch it. And it could just be, I want to raise a bunch of money. I want to make money. It could be that, but, but there's a lot of different other reasons. It could be, I want to create a, a brand. I want to make a game. I want to, uh, fund a, a book or a movie or an animated show i want to raise money for charity i want to raise money for a good cause a social good cause and, and help um fight deforestation or climate change or, or the coral reefs or you know there's so many issues that there's so many different reasons but i think most people don't think about that so i think really take a good amount of time and like think about why you want to launch an nft project um think about whether the thing that you want to do whether nfts are the right fit for that like i don't think everything should be an nft just because it's cool technology obviously i think it's cool technology but there are a lot of things that are better off without the nfts especially this early like i think maybe in five ten years things that are not nft fied now will be in the future but just really thinking about i always go back to this story i, I was talking to a dentist about six months ago who was he was actually thinking of joining the 333 club and he was we we're just chatting about it and, and i asked him what his plans were and he was like well i've got my my dental clinic uh, and i want to release an nft which it gives like uh free cleanings every six months for life or something like that and i said it's a cool idea but if you draw a Venn diagram of like people who live within 30 minutes of your clinic and then we might come and then who are into NFTs and might pay for this, that you'd be lucky to find one person. And so I said, you know, maybe in five, 10 years when NFTs are really mainstream, this would be great. And I could see that. I could see NFTs for coffee, loyalty cards, movie yeah. rewards, et cetera, et cetera. But right now it might not be the best idea to pursue that if you are relying on a very wide stream um, adoption. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, just again, to answer your question, think, think about, about why, why yeah, you think really hard about why. Yeah, I, I can definitely see the value in, let's say, for example, if you are a uh, hairdresser, right? And you can say in a year, this is the, the number, the capacity that I have. Mm -hmm. I'm going to release this many NFTs and like only people who have yeah. an NFT will, you know, that I will serve them, right? Like something, yeah. but but that's when it's mass adopted and, and yeah. like it's everywhere. Awesome. Well, this has been a fast fascinating uh, topic I, uh, there are so many other things that you are already covering on a really excellent uh, podcast uh, with uh, Car Carly Riley that I'm a big fan of um, so I didn't want to cover the things that you already covered with her uh, so like the, the typical kind of like what's going on in the market because mm. you already covered that so I, I tell people about that podcast all the time I think it's an amazing I think Carly is, is fantastic and I really hope to have her on the podcast at some point and actually if you could make an introduction I, I absolutely really can. love to you know I think she is excellent i really really love uh, that show because of that show uh i bought into moonbirds and you know you've made me a lot of money amazing <laughs> you know i will make that intro i think it works both ways she would probably love to have you on as well um, oh yeah, yeah. I, would, I would love to you know talk to her and, and have her on the, pod, on the podcast as well so i really appreciate your time i know you have a hard stop today um and uh you know i'm part of the uh 333 club so we are we are in touch and we will take it from there Absolutely. Thank you so much.
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Zeneca. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Zeneca underline 33. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to it on Apple, Spotify, or any other one of your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review. The full interviews are also available on my YouTube channel, The Somi Ariane Show.